Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. We are having our weekly roundup of news stories from the world, uh, the wild and wacky world of law. I mean, Uh, it's been a pretty crazy week. Why are you talking? I have not introduced you yet. You have not introduced me yet, but I mean... No, I mean, that's cool. I think most people at this point know that you're here. It was a big surprise right there. Big reveal, big reveal. Big reveal. I'm joined by Catherine Rubino, uh, also a senior editor at Above the Law. How are you? I'm okay. We're recording this on a Friday. We We usually record it earlier in the week. Friday afternoon to be specific, and I am ready to be done with this week. I have already actually done the my recording of the Legal Technology Week news happy hour that we do. Oh, so, so that's why um, you're slightly tipsy here. Oh, slightly. No, I'm com- <laughs> I'm I'm as drunk as I always am. Uh no, but no, we I've already recorded one show talking about a plethora of legal technology mm. issues. If those are more interesting to you, you should absolutely watch that show. But otherwise, here we so are. what are we talking about here that is well, not necessarily legal tech related? It is late July. Normally, what that means... Hold on, let me check my calendar. What does that mean? Normally, it means we're getting ready for the bar exam. And Oh, but there's not any bar exams happening in uh, person around the country because yeah. there's a pandemic. So nobody... Nobody would actually make people go into an enclosed space. See, that's mm. where you're wrong. Unfortunately, I think 20 plus jurisdictions are still going forward with an in-person bar exam next week. I think you wrote about this. There's actually a picture going around that shows the setup for one of the locations. North Carolina's setup images are online. You are correct that we have those. It looks... You know, like the bare minimum. Uh, if, if you, <laughs> I mean, we we had a conversation. Uh, there was a. I wrote an article. I'll admit where there was some pushback because I used the federal from a federal government website the amount of square footage required uh-huh. for to keep properly distanced for that amount of time, and I used that. And some more math savvy readers <laughs> said. Wait a minute, that can't possibly be right. And then when they pushed me on it, I did the math myself and went, yeah, that can't be right. So, yes, the federal government, it, it was FEMA, actually. The FEMA website explains what social distancing is incorrectly. They overestimate it. You don't need as much room. Okay. Which, we're getting back to what uh, okay. what we were saying. They said in order to have people in an enclosed space you would need to have a circle around each person Mm -hmm. that was a six-foot radius. So person in the middle, three feet on either side. No, that's the thing. They said a six-foot radius, not diameter. Oh, sure, sure. So Therein lay the problem. So Ah. what you really need is a three-foot radius because the person in the center of all these, three feet in either direction. It's a six-foot circle around each person. Right, a six-foot diameter circle around each person, yes. So as it turns out, you need less area because... Sure. But th- this, is, this has become above the math lesson uh, because <laughs> the, the square, the, the area you need in that circle will always be the radius 
squared yeah. times pi. Sure, sure. And in a lot of ways, that's not even a very good way of doing it because there's no good way to sit circle by circle. So it really is going to be squares. Uh, whether you want it to be or not, mm -hmm. they're going to be squares. So do it that way, whatever. But we've talked about this. Even with that addendum, we talked about it, and it's hard to visualize what that means, you know? Sure, sure. Uh, but this North Carolina picture shows what three feet on either side of the desks looks like. And uh, let me tell you, it does not look like you have very much room from the person next to you. I mean, it looks, I mean, I've seen the pictures. It looked kind of, to me, like it, exactly what you would expect a testing room to look like because that seems like the how far to make sure people aren't cheating distance. Not, it doesn't look much expanded because of, you know, the yeah. raging pandemic going well, the on. Well, really, the really terrifying thing about it was when you looked at the broader angle that the uh, person on Twitter gave us afterwards, which is there's tons of empty space around the area where they have the desks set up. They, they, <laughs> they could they, be further apart. Yeah, they They're went. They're choosing not to. They went in and said, well, six feet is the floor, not the ceiling. And they just created a grid of exactly the minimum for everybody uh, when they terrifying. could have had a lot more. Yeah, it does not look good. But yes, so there are in-person exams still going on. But don't worry about North Carolina because of all the health concerns, even though they, they put that together, but because of the health concerns, we were happy to report they listened to public health officials and lowered the cut score by two points. That was but, their big announcement today, that they I, I are mean, lowering. I mean, sure, lowering the cut score would be a story in perfectly healthy, normal, non-2020 times. But I'm failing to see the relationship between the two. Well, and this is the issue. And this goes to a lot of the people who argue for the bar exam. We've talked a little bit about diploma privilege. Obviously, we last week had the diploma privilege folks on. One of the tired and untrue arguments, I'm trying to come up with an opposite of tried and true, the tired and untrue arguments that people make when defending the need for a bar exam to protect the public from Oh, these scary lawyers. Those huckster lawyers out there. Yeah, one of the arguments they always go to is 20 to 25% of people who take the bar exam fail it, which is a lot. Generally true. Yeah. The problem is, what if I told you, I get, get my very 30 for 30 voice, what if I told you <laughs> that number is set by the people taking the exam, running the exam? They make the decision that we want 20 to 25 people to fail and they curve it so that 20 to 25% of the people who fail. There's not like a cut score where they go in assuming if you, what if, if you, everybody's perfect this year? Right, right. They're not assuming it's all like a gifted and talented classroom, right? They're, they're going in assuming like a traditional curve, which is frankly how a lot of Law higher- Law schools operate. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, it seems- but, the, but this brings us to the problem. The argument for the exam is that it's a test of minimum competence. And on a test of minimum competence, there should be a platonic ideal of once you hit this marker, you are in. Instead, different states set it based on the different 
conditions that they have in order to keep a failure rate of between 20 and 25% because that's what they view as appropriate good for them. Different states do it differently. California, historically, they now are making changes and permanent changes, has had it way too high uh, in most people's Making it estimations. more difficult than Very it difficult be. for people to get sure. in. Not the most No, I, Delaware, Delaware, I believe, so, is. Yeah. But that's because Delaware just sits on this probably criminal empire of <laughs> all of these corporations. <laughs> Way I mean, to just impute a whole state. <laughs> I mean, look, look, being a corporate lawyer in Delaware is the greatest deal ever, right? Everybody else does all the work. You're a local counsel for them. It's a huge racket. Anyway, put that aside. But most states do do it in this range, and mm-hmm. they do it in this range in order to maintain credibility and look like they're a tough exam. That, however, is not how a minimum competence exam works. Sure. Imagine if the driver's license exam every year was, well, you did everything right based on last year, but we had a lot of good people this year, so we've decided you, by having your blinker on too late, you don't get your driver's license. That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And that shouldn't be how we do legal licensing either. Anyway, put that aside. So the North Carolina argument of lowering the score is A, they, they, unlike California, did it temporarily. And B, they made it sound like this was an accommodation, but it is not. No. It is not an accommodation. What they are doing is saying that we understand that under the conditions that we have put this year's class through, we expect the scores to be lower. So therefore, to hit our 20 to 25, we need to lower the cut score by two. They go so far as to clarify that this cut score will go back up in July of 2021. But the two exams that are back to back here, the July exam that they're holding in person for some reason, and then the upcoming February exam, they will use this lower score. I mean, it's just shockingly terrible. And, you know, kind of an unspoken, because I haven't written this article yet, but it's it's on my to-do list, is the way in which also firms are feeding into the problems with the bar exam. As I'm sure folks are aware, a lot of big law firms, you know, would normally expect the class of 2020 to start in the fall, right? You know, they take usually in, in normal times, right? You know, you take the bar exam in July, you start at your law firm in, you know, September, October, somewhere in the fall, and, you know, life goes on. But because of all the well, the pandemic for one, but also, you know, there's a lot of, you know, bar exam issues as a result. Different firms are doing different things. Some are still having their folks having the option of starting in the fall. Some are pushing it back to January or February. And some of them who have pushed the date back to January and February are saying that it's contingent upon folks being able to take the bar exam. Some of them are offering paying students to expenses to take the test in another jurisdiction if not available in their jurisdiction. So firms are actually paying for folks to travel during a pandemic in order to have taken an exam before they start working. Which is ridiculous. And it's extra ridiculous when you recall what there was a great quote that our colleague put up today. By today, we mean Friday. Our colleague put up an article that you can go back and look at. This quote from an underwriter, mm-hmm. because the the legal industry, like a lot of things in the world, it's really dictated, the strictures of the job are dictated by the pencil pushers with the money. Sure. And 
the folks who underwrite malpractice insurance, those are the people who are really protecting the public. It is not the board of law examiners. It is the mm -hmm. underwriters of malpractice insurance because they are the people who will pay if somebody who is unqualified to practice law does something bad. And it is those folks who have made very clear, we don't care. <laughs> They made a statement, we really can't see ourselves caring if somebody got their license through diploma privilege versus anything else. They, as one would expect, are much more concerned about very vague and hard to predict issues like which of these attorneys is going to skim money off the top or overbill, ethical consider considerations. This mm -hmm. is what bothers them. It is not in any way. So perhaps the thing that you've been saying is putting more focus on things like character and fitness and uh, continuing CLE things as yeah. opposed to just an arbitrary test. Sure. Well, you know, you, you make the point about continuing CLE things. And I think that speaks to an issue that is real. And I say this not just because we have advertisers who are in this industry, but one concern with the idea of moving past the bar exam is what happens to the broad industry of bar prep. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. happens to that, that industry, which generates a lot of revenue every year? I have a solution. Do you now? Please, please tell us. I just think the answer is that if we move to a system where we are more diploma privileged, one of the things that I've talked about a lot is we would move into a world where we have stricter regulation of law schools to make sure that they're up to snuff and that the real liberties these folks get to take now with pushing back against the ABA and suing the ABA for threatening their accreditation would fall apart because state regulators would now be more involved in making sure that law schools are up to snuff. But the back end is true too. The bar prep folks you know what they're uniquely situated to do is be involved in a new regime of continuing legal education. Right now, continuing legal education, I don't think this is a controversial statement, after the first year of being a lawyer is mostly zone out time. Sure. It is a meeting you go to at the city bar when you're killing time before you want to go get mm -hmm. a drink or when when or it's on video where it's mm -hmm. playing in the background while you're also right. playing minesweeper or if, uh, things are a little slow you can quickly rack up your uh cle credits while you know you're waiting for a partner to get you back a draft of yeah. something sure this is not how continuing legal education should work and it's also telling and this is a line that i've i've written it is telling that the bar exam is viewed by its proponents as nothing more than a hazing ritual when they can't envision a world of protecting the public without a two-day grueling exam, but they also are just as quick to defend the idea that CLE, I mean, we all take it. Eh, it's no big deal. Yeah. Uh, a more strict system that allows the people who have been in practice more than a year to actually justify themselves if that were something they were arguing, then I might believe their, their uh, crocodile tears over <laughs> the public protection. But sure. if they aren't, then it's clear sure. that this is just a lie. Sure. And there's obviously a lot to unpack there. But 
certainly I think that bar review folks would be well situated to do a lot of the stuff since they frankly are the ones who are teaching plenty of students, putting the law school graduates, the actual substantive law, because you don't have to take a lot of the classes that you get, you know, like legal papers or whatnot. I never took a class in that and I learned commercial paper. Commercial paper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. See, this is how how out of it you were. (laughs) But I mean, I never took a class for that. Oh, no. You know, it was just a bar exam. Or, you know, trusts and estates. Or there's a whole bunch of cl- of things that are absolutely... Well, property gets into trusts and estates, but I hear not like the local, Not like the state-based rules and that kind of stuff, but in like how, you know, you have to leave something to your wife unless you've explicit... Like that kind of, mm, yeah, you know, yeah, that those kind are, of yeah. actual... Those are, those are the questions that are on the bar exam, right? Well, and, that, but that gets you to in a world where we're already... I think rightly moving towards a uniform system to allow portability, those sorts of state-specific rules are already disappearing from the bar exam proper. Well, there, a lot of states still have a UBE section, but also have state-specific questions as well. Yeah, it's right. it, but I certainly not getting into random practice areas all over the place that you're not necessarily going to get to. I mean, it no longer takes up enough time to frankly do that. Mm. But yes, my proposed solution, again, back to I have a solution. I think that the bar prep folks are uniquely positioned to deal with this. And I think the way in which it's dealt with. You're saying in a way that current CLE providers are not. They're they're, they're already industry, right? That is fair. I am not necessarily saying in a way that they are not. I'm saying in a way that is, this is going to be a Herculean task to Mm -hmm. do what I'm saying. And more players in this industry are going to be necessary. What I think is necessary is a situation where we have continuing legal education. It may not even be mandatory to do it this way, but instead maybe incentivized to do it this way. You can get your license and you can practice if you want, but if you want to be able to advertise that you are a gold star rated or a triple A rated or however you want to do it person, you need to have not just taken the course, but then take an XYZ little quiz, test, whatever, in that niche practice area. Because one of the most ridiculous parts of the bar exam is you're not a trust and estates lawyer. I wasn't a trust and estates lawyer. We had to learn a bunch about trust and estates to take this antiquated exam that envisions, forgot. <laughs> that envisions a world in which people are generalists when they are not. What I think would be a better situation is diploma privilege followed by over time, because most lawyers, not all, but most lawyers go to work for another senior lawyer out of law school. Very sure. few mm-hmm. hang up a shingle. So given that, they are going to learn much more about the profession from their basically apprenticeship than they're going to learn from a bar exam, whatever. Let them do that. And when it comes time for them to be the sort of person who generates business and, and has to advertise themselves they can then have an opportunity vis-a-vis the CLE process Mm -hmm. to say, I'm in trust and estates. I don't need to take 24 credits across all whatever. I need to take these credits that are very specific to my practice area, that are run by people who are practice area experts. And if I wish to be able to advertise myself as somebody who is proficient in these areas, I need to jump through some hurdles regulatory-wise, whether that's showing uh, a component can be showing work that you've already done to a 
regulatory panel, but also in the CLEs, it's quizzes and short assignments and so on, which Mm -hmm. that would take the place of the bar exam and be something that bar prep folks could really manage, making sure that you're getting a certificate in your practice area, not in general stuff. Even when you're a random practitioner now, put aside the bar exam, if you're a random practitioner now, you go to CLE, you're more likely to just watch whatever CLE is available rather than sit down and say something and ethics. Yeah. (laughs) Then sit down and say, I do this. I want to watch CLEs about this. Mm -hmm. You just take what's available. And that is problematic and not how a real continuing education process and a real certification of quality for the purpose of public protection, which we claim this is all about, would work. Yes, well, that's the world, according to Job Trees. And I know I do appreciate it, but if I were making the rules for the bar exam... All right, go for it. You would definitely be allowed to bring your own tampons into the exam. Right. I mean, oh, that... That, That's my... That would be my... Oh, that's also on mine. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, you're getting rid of the test. Actually, no, that's right. You're getting rid of the test. Yeah, no, see... (laughs) But I bring it up for a specific reason, right? That is not the rule. Right. And a lot of places you are not allowed to bring in your own feminine hygiene products. You're also if you are have the sort of misfortune of being a nursing mother as you're taking the bar exam, you're kind of shit out of luck. Some jurisdictions say, well, you know, you can do whatever you need to do when you're sitting at your desk in a room of 300 people. Some places say, well, you get the same 15 minute break that everyone does and you'll have to pump wherever, you know, we tell you no matter how far away that is. You, some folks are told that they're not allowed to bring anything to store their milk in. So they have to pump and dump. Some people are told that there's no electric machines allowed in, so they can't bring in their electric pump. They have to bring in a hand pump and physically, you know, hand pump during the, the course of the exam. There's no sort of standard across jurisdictions, certainly. That is, that, that is true. And yeah, it's not a great situation. That's fair. I guess my question, if we're talking about if you were mm-hmm. allowed to run things. Sure. I don't understand why, you know, you would still put women through such horrible things because I would just not have the exam. <laughs> See, this is why I am the candidate. You, you, can, you can run the legal profession, I show. am the candidate for... I'm not going to run against yeah. you for that one. Don't worry. Don't worry. I mean, I should, as I should clarify that the jurisdictions that do not let women bring their own feminine hygiene products generally provide them. But uh, as somebody said, in the middle of COVID-19, having a community-based uh, set of, of tampons doesn't strike them as the safest thing to do, which is also true. But the other thing is, you know, this is I don't know the variety of products that are available. This is something that may not occur to folks who don't menstruate, but there is a wide variety of products and absorbencies, and each person's flow is different, and what works for me may not work for other women. I was at an event where I was providing some feminine hygiene products for for a large event. And I got a big variety and and a friend of mine said, oh, well, why don't you just get, just put out these? That'll be enough for everyone. And I was like, those? I could never use those. I was a very good friend of mine, but I was shocked that that's what she thought what the right answer was. I was like, that that would be good for about 20 minutes. That's how long that would last for me. And then, you know, and so my point is just that people are very different. And the notion that the bar exam is going to provide what every person who menstruates needs is absurd and folks should have the ability to bring their own products in. 
There is a rating system of the various bar exams on this score, I believe. Yeah. I, I know that Alabama mm-hmm. got an F. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. But yeah, so if that gives you a sense of the sorts of places we're talking but about. But that, that means we need it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it, 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 and there's also one I think for nursing mothers as well, and it's it's kind of funny to see that some jurisdictions do very well in nursing mothers, but not so well with menstruating. Yeah, I think I think Alabama was referring to nursing uh, getting right. an F, yeah. but yeah, and it may may have gotten an F on the other score too. Yeah, I, I've only seen the nursing one to be honest, but it's uh, it took over a lot of the law school Twitter last week, and and you know, and Arizona for example. They were called to the carpet for their policy and changed their policy. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it is possible that that change changes changes possible. This is actually a good time. Uh, well, now that we're coming close to the end of the show, this is a good time to reach out to and say, you know, this show should come up right in the midst of next week for us, this week for you all, right in the midst of when bar exams are starting bar exams are going around. Some of you may be listening to this as you're heading home from the day one. Hopefully some of you haven't just decided you're too fed up with law to listen this week until (laughs) uh, after it's over. But this is an opportunity for us to remind all of you that if you have bar exam horror stories, bar exam news, anything to share with us from these, unfortunately, several states that are still Mm going to go forward with this uh, in July... I mean, I would also go a little bit further. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty much every year, every, every bar administration, we're always asking for your horror stories because something always happens <laughs> some, in some jurisdictions. Hopefully, you know, exam soft won't go offline. But, you know, there's always something and we're always, always, always at Above the Law interested in those horror stories. But I think that particularly for this year in the middle of the pandemic, we want to hear what it's like. You know, not just the what the oh, worst case point. scenario is, but what was it actually like? Was were people generally wearing masks? Were, were they not required? Was no one wearing masks? Well, you know, what was the what was the line for the bathroom? Did you have to stand six feet apart as you waited for the bathroom? You know, were you given more time because of this? Uh, you know, I think that there are way more questions. Did you were every stall in the bathroom used, or did you leave one available because that's proper social distancing? You know, there's a lot of questions about how the the mechanics of the bar exam under COVID-19 are going down. And I think that we're very interested in sharing that with as much of the legal profession as possible. So there you have it. If you have any of these stories to share with us, we would love to hear them. We need to hear them. That's the only way. We're not in those rooms uh, right. as this is happening. You can't make we, me take that test again. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we need, I, I think, a, like, and this is true just generally. Like, mm-hmm. for us to report these, these stories, we need you to tell us about them, which means writing us at tips at com. We also have Twitter and all that, but honestly, the email is the easiest. It goes to the boxes of all the editors so we can see it. It's the most efficient way to reach us. So with that said, good luck to everybody doing it. Yes, um, good luck. For everyone else, hope this was a trip down, a pleasant trip down memory lane where you remembered what the bar exam was like. And with that, I think we're done. Uh, that means thanks for listening. You should be listening to this podcast. Uh, you should be subscribed. You should give reviews, which means both just writing, you know, giving stars and writing a little bit of a, you know, a little narrative about how awesome we are. These sorts of things actually do matter when it comes to the algorithms that promote podcasts. 
you should be reading above the law. You should be following. I'm at Joseph Patrice on Twitter. She's at Catherine One, the numeral one on mm -hmm. Twitter. You should listen to some of the other shows that we do. We have the Jabot, which Catherine hosts. We have the ATL COVID cast, our special report about COVID and the law and the changes that are coming from that. You should listen to the other shows on the Legal Talk Network. And again, if you're interested in legal tech, the Legal Tech Happy Hour that I uh, just described is also out there. So listen to all those things, and we will check in with you later. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.